My name is Phil Spagnolo. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, I think I know most of you, but I'm not up here very often anymore, so it's good to be able to be able to preach to you this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10 is where we, where we will be. If you need a Bible, um, if you could raise up your hand, that would be great. It would be Hebrews chapter 10, 1 through 18. One of the ushers in the back will bring you a Bible if you raise your hand there. That would be great. excited to preach to you this morning. God's Word is so good to us, and uh, yeah, it's good to see all your faces. Pray God's Word fills you this morning. I think you've probably noticed uh, people in our community, they really love decorating their houses uh, this time of season. It it used to be that this happened, at least in my opinion, uh, once a year, everybody decorate their houses. We have a guy in our neighborhood who, he starts like, as soon as October 31st is done, November, he is setting up. He decorates his house, he decorates his neighbor's houses, and then he decorates his whole cul-de-sac. It it is a sight to behold. I don't know if you have that guy in your neighborhood, we have that guy. And it's fun, everybody's driving through. But now, it's not just Christmas. Uh, We have a back-to-back decoration extravaganza. I think you've seen it. In September, um, I walked between the doors of my favorite store in all of Puyallup. Lowe's. You know, that smell of wood, that smell of tools, it's my favorite place to be. But as I walked through those sliding doors, I saw an abdomen. And then as I looked up, cast my eyes north, there was a 12-foot-tall grim reaper. It was huge and it was menacing. It's a perfect addition to any of your front yards. Just kidding. This is our culture today. The neighbors around us, maybe you're one of them, load their yards with Halloween decorations and then immediately transition from orange and black to red and green, from ghosts and graves and death to sleighs and reindeer and mangers. Last Sunday, this Sunday, and next Sunday, Christmas Eve, we're going to be, we are, we're pausing to reflect on the meaning of Christmas, the reason for the season. And we're asking, what is the purpose of the first advent? Why did Jesus come at Christmas? And it's this overnight transition from Halloween decorations to Christmas that I think is an apt illustration of what we're going to see in our text today. It was a transitionary moment from before the first advent to after the first advent. From a time of being haunted by the remembrance of sin to a time of sin being remembered no more. Today, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it tells us that the reason Jesus came was this, to do the will of God. The reason Jesus came was to do the will of God. And God's will is for men and women to be free from the haunting effects of sin and to create a people eager to follow and obey his laws. To usher his people from the haunting shadows of sin to the clear light of forgiveness. At the ordained time, the proper ordained time, we know that, Jesus came to deliver us from the haunt of Halloween, of your soul, to usher us into the rest of Christmas. And this is our big idea this morning. You'll see it on the screen. The Christ of Christmas came to clear your haunted conscience. The Christ of Christmas came to hear to clean your haunted conscience. And we're going to look at this in three movements. 
Um, Join me now as we see the power of Christmas for your conscience. We'll see it in three parts. The first part will be the haunted conscience. This will be verses 1 through 4. And then we'll see that cleanse conscience, 5 through 14-ish. And then finally the conforming conscience, the conforming conscience, 14-ish through 18. Join me. You can look at your word in front of you, Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 1 through 4. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it, that is the law, can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise would they, the sacrifices, not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year, for it is impossible for the bulls or for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We'll stop there. The law of God is good. In fact, the law of God is perfect, it is sure, it is right, it is enduring forever. These are some of the words that Psalm 19 uses to describe the law of God. The law of God is good. The problem, sorry to break it to you this morning, is that we are not. We all know that. We have problems. We are not perfect, sure, right, enduring. And because the law of God is good and we are not, the law of God gives provision to help people. And the provision that the law of God contains is the sacrificial system. The sacrificial system found in the law of God provided the means to cover sin, to make payment for sin, to cleanse men and women of sin. God created these rituals to be, to, to be performed with an animal's death, an animal's spilled blood, and it was a substitution for a man or woman, a woman who had sinned. When a man and a woman laid their hands on the beast, it symbolically stood in his stead. His death made payment for the sin of the man. So, the law of God is good, and it's good for us. But, it was not the end. But it was a shadow of a greater reality. We see that in verse 1. It's a shadow of a greater reality. In fact, the continual sacrifices did not clear the conscience But they plague the conscience. The repetition plagued the conscience. And this is very key for us. It's important for us to get this here. Their periodic nature, their ever-present nature of these sacrifices were a reminder of sin. This is what we see in verse 3. A reminder of sin that plagued the conscience. When a bull or goat was sacrificed, sin was dealt with. But then more sin came. And then more sin came. And then a bull was sacrificed, needed to die. And then more sin came. And then a goat needed to be sacrificed. And it was this long line of sin and death. The daily, monthly, yearly sacrificial rituals reminded the people of sin and death, of sin and death, of sin and death continually. This is really what verse 3 is telling us. A reminder that did not clear the conscience, but haunted the conscience. Church family, very few of any of us, I dare say any of us, have participated in animal sacrifice. I won't make you raise your hand. (laughs) And there's only one reason we don't participate in those sacrifices. We're going to talk about that a little bit later. But we do understand a haunted conscience. 
We understand a haunted conscience. The repeating reminder of sin inside of our souls. You know, each of us are a bit like Ebenezer Scrooge. Those ghosts of Christmas past that are just floating around in our minds. There's, there's circles and cycles of them there, reminding our souls of the sin. Reminding us of past decisions, or past thoughts, or bad past actions. And they radiate the guilt and shame and regret that comes from a sin, sin-filled life. And this guilt and regret within our haunted conscience, really it drives us to cover it up. We want to. As most of us feel driven to cover the private parts of our body, the conscience compels us to cover our souls, to cover our sin. When a conscience is working properly, it lets us know that sin is shameful and it ought to be covered. Today, I dare say that there are a few of us, many, many of us, who are haunted right now by our consciences. We remember things of our past. And you wish there was an animal sacrifice that could cover your ghosts. That's the problem with a sinful life. Well, let's look at this another way, though. An active conscience is both a blessing and a curse. It's a blessing, the active conscience, but it tells us something's wrong. It's a curse because it plagues us without a solution. The conscience can't fix our problem. The conscience is like that check engine light on your car. Who's seen that check engine light on your car? Yeah? You are glad that you know something's wrong, but you wish it would go away. (laughs) You just want to cover it with a piece of tape or something. That's our conscience. But our consciences are not perfect. Sometimes they ought to plague us when they don't, and sometimes they condemn us when they ought ought not, and other times our consciences, we just turn them off. And we don't allow them to speak at all. It's actually true that, that the dead conscience is the worst of them all. Imagine a state of your soul being in peril with no way to know it. You have no check engine light. Thankfully, our conscience is like the physical body. The body has pain receptors that when our, like, the body, the conscience is like pain receptors of our body for our soul. When you touch something hot, your hand learns to jerk away. Your nerves are telling it to that. In like manner, when you sin, the important role of the conscience is to let your soul know that damage is done. Flee. We need some covering. The sad and dangerous truth, truth is that the disabled check engine light for our soul, the one that's dulled or turned off, it no longer haunts the person. It no longer haunts the soul. And the question is, have you done this? Are you at peace, yet your soul is in peril? Maybe this is a, maybe a, maybe a funnier, uh, funnier, more, less serious way to think about this. Um, there's a, a modern-day proverb that says this, a clear conscience is usually the sign of a bad memory. <laughs> Oftentimes, the things that we should be, you know, thinking about, we forgot them. Do you think little about your past? Um, you say, well, my hands are clean. Ah, it was Eve's fault. It was Eve's fault. Or it was my husband's fault. Or it was my wife's fault. Oh, it was the dog's fault. That's what it was. We ought to remember, but sometimes our consciences are turned off. This is actually a, a perilous place to be. We must all deal with the conscience. 
Some turn it off. Don't do that. Some try to placate it by doing good works, try to appease it. I'm sure that most of us have found that does not work. It only makes it worse. And others live in a state of constant shame and hopelessness. God forbid that we're living in a state of hopelessness and shame. Hebrews 10, 1 through 4, is stating that the sacrificial system in the law continually reminded the children of God of their sin. It was God's way of dealing with sin temporarily while also making people aware of their need for covering. The continual sign of sin and blood and death are symbols of the haunted conscience of every man, woman, and child. We are haunted by those past thoughts and deeds and actions. But this is where Christmas comes in. The blood and death found in the sacrificial system is the, in the perfect law of God was a shadow, a foreshadow of good things to come. Again, verse 1. God has made a permanent provision for the haunted conscience. God has brought good news, and good is coming. On a, a warm summer day, if I'm laying in the yard, I love to see my wife's shadow coming. I like the shape of it, and I think good things are coming. <laughs> and then when she arrives, I want to forget the shadow, but my wife is there. Good things are coming when you see the shadow. And that's where we turn now. Christmas, the coming of Christ, means better provision for a haunted conscience. Let's turn there. I'm going to read chapter 10, verses 5 through 14. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, You have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for the time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all times time those who are being sanctified. That's some good news. Why are animal sacrifices a thing of the past and unnecessary? Because Christmas. Because of the coming of Jesus. As he has made better provision for our haunted consciences. The lack of a temple... The lack of an altar, the lack of priest, does not mean that sacrifice is unnecessary. Sacrifice, get this, is absolutely necessary. That is not changed. It's a moral and ethical law that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And therefore, we all need sacrifice. 
But since Jesus came to do the will of God at Christmas, there was a transitionary moment in history that changed sacrifice forever. And this truth has very, very, very good ramifications for us and for our conscience. Verses 5 through 9 are a quotation and a summary of Israel's great king, King David, from Psalm chapter 40. The words of King David were a shadow of the better king to come. And in fact, the author of the Hebrews, what we see right here, he puts the words of Psalm 40, the words of David that he penned, in the, word, in the mouth of Jesus. Look at verse 5. When Christ came into the world, he said. Christ said it, and what did he say? This is what he said. Christ said, the sacrifices and offerings that were continually made did not give God pleasure. The offerings and the law were a lesser good, a concession for sin. Sacrifice and offerings, think about it, would have never been necessary if sin had not entered into the world. God doesn't find pleasure in death. God doesn't find pleasure in death. But death was the only means to pay for sin, for the wages of sin is death. So, what does please God? What pleases God is what Jesus came to do. Look at verse 7. Behold, I have come, what? To do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. God is pleased with the willing obedience of his people. Doing God's will is what pleases him. In the history of mankind, until the time of the first Christmas, the will of God was left undone by the ones who were his image bearers. Not one of God's image bearers, men or women, created in his image, created by God to do his will, had done his will. But at the first advent, the Christ of Christmas came to do the will of God. He came to do what was written in the scroll of the book, the scriptures. He came to do that. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the Son of the Father, took on a human body prepared for him by God. Look at verse 5 again. A body you have prepared for me. The Son of God, never losing his divinity, took on full humanity. And he perfectly obeyed and did the will of God. He is the only one who has ever done the will of God. This is, the, this is a really key for us. What was the will of God for his son? Well, then now let's look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. By that will, well, what will? Well, it's God's will. We have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Animal sacrifice is now unnecessary, but sacrifice and offering for sin is needed. And the will of God for the Son of God was worked by Jesus. And it was the sacrifice of the very body of Jesus given by God for the purpose of sanctifying and setting apart his people as holy, as pure, as without sin. God's will for Jesus' life was unlike any other. Jesus had a particular will for his life. Jesus' perfect obedience to the will of God included the self-sacrifice uniquely of his own life, yet he obeyed it fully, sacrificing his own skin, his own body, not a beast, not a goat, not a bull, 
but a perfect, sinless man. That's what Jesus did. The problem of sin felt imperfectly in our consciences and continually remembered through the sacrificial, sacrificial system was forever changed at this first advent. The sacrifice of bulls and goats was forever changed. It was a temporary shadow of a greater reality, and that greater reality is the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. That is good news. The Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world. The reason Jesus came was because only a fully obedient, sinless man could stand in the place of sinners, and not only a Christ who is eternally God could pay the eternal judgment of God for our sins. Jesus Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, the Son of Man, fully human, sanctified or sacrificed himself, sacrificed himself in the place of sinners. So the haunting conscience of sin was dealt a death blow. <laughs> the haunting conscience of sin was dealt a death blow. Look at, the, look at how the author of Hebrews repeats the finality of this obedient sacrifice. In verse 10, we have been sanctified by the body of Jesus. How long? Once for all. In verse 11, priests' daily sacrifices can never take away sin, but, verse 12, after Christ's single sacrifice, what did he do? He sat down. And then verse 14, by the single sacrifice, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Let me get a little excited with you here. This is good news. Your sins who are in Christ, are forgiven. Your sins are covered. Think of that. All of your sins are covered. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. Sin is done away with. There's nothing left to pay. The enemy, Satan, can accuse you all you want, all he wants, but there's nothing to it. Every single sin you have ever committed, past, present, and future, are wiped away. You have been fully perfected for all time. All time. Every sin, sin of humanity has been paid in full. The debt has been paid. There's nothing left to do. Jesus sat down afterwards so we can sit down with him in rest. The enemy's destiny, what it is it? His destiny is to be a footstool for Jesus. Jesus is going to sit back and put his feet on him. Victory for him and us is complete. This is reason to celebrate Christmas. Church and those who are seeking. The reason to celebrate is because Jesus has done the will of God. He brings peace to all who by faith rest in the finished sacrifice. He provides real internal peace, rest from the haunting conscience of sin. There's another modern proverb that I read recently that I think rings sweetly true here. It says, there's no pillow so soft as a clear conscience. And Jesus is the only one who can give you this kind of pillow. The pillow that you can rest on. Do you want that pillow for Christmas? Trust in Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus, give him your life. Surrender to him. Only he can provide. He's the only way to rest. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and you've trusted. But then you say, well, I live in Halloween land. <laughs> I'm haunted. I can't rid of, the, rid of the ghosts in my head. I'm suffering. That's hard. It's, it's, it's true suffering. I've felt that suffering. I'm sure each of us have. Well, here is the 
the word for you. The Lord knows your suffering. He knows what's going on. His word is more certain. But his word is more certain than our thoughts and our minds. It is truly a done deal that he has cleansed you of your sin despite what your conscience might say. Believe the word of God to be true in spite of what a faulty conscience might say. This Jesus, he died once for all. His own self-sacrifice and has granted you everything you need to cover sin and cover all that plagues you and rest for your conscience. Again, this is good news. This is why we call it the gospel. This is the reason to celebrate at Christmas. As you gather in your homes, as you gather this time, there's that song that says, repeat, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat this to yourself. Repeat the truth that sins are gone, that your conscience is clear and covered once for all. Repeat, repeat the sounding joy. We need repetition. And this, this leads to our final movement. It's a, this next movement is a very practical, important point, and one in which it's going to teach us something about our conscience, that our conscience actually needs to be retrained. And the repetition is how our conscience is retrained, and it's the repetition of the gospel. At the first advent, let's just recall, Jesus came to do the will of God, and he did. Sin is truly defeated. Sin has no more power because he has covered it. But that raises the question of this in our minds. What do we do when we sin now, after that first advent? How should our consciences now function when sin has been covered? Should we still, still feel the same haunt that our conscience did before? Well, the answer is, yes, we should feel a sting in our conscience, but the sting should be different than before the first advent. We're going to talk about that. When the, if the second advent, Jesus will completely eradicate sin. With the first advent, he took away the power of sin. So today we live in this time between the two advents where the Holy Spirit is doing something special in your conscience. He's conforming your conscience to the will of God. And that's what we're going to look at at Hebrews 10. We're going to read 14 again through the end. Conforming conscience. For by a single offering he has perfected for all times those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Stopping there. This is something that, these are thoughts that go in my mind and I'll just sort of express them. I trust in the Christ of Christmas, yet I still feel the burden of my conscience. And I, is there something wrong with me? Shouldn't I be done with these things? I, I think that's a good question. If sin is defeated, why do I have feelings of guilt? Theologically, I know that Jesus' once-for-all sacrifice was sufficient. Christmas has come. The haunt of Halloween is the past. The work of forgiveness is complete and final. Yet sin is still present. I dare say that this is a puzzle that we all, who are followers of Christ, must think about today and must understand. And the 
verse 14, especially the second half of it, gives us a real key here. Let me read it again. For by a single offering he has perfected all, for all time, those who are being sanctified. You see the paradox there? The Christ of Christmas has perfected, that's past tense, but those are being sanctified, present tense. There's a paradox there. There's a tension in the life of the follower of Jesus Christ between the first and the second advent. Christians, you are perfect in the eyes of God the Father because you are in Christ. When the Father sees you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus because you are in the Son. You were protected and secured by the penalty from the penalty of sin. And that's what we sing, Hallelujah. So we do that. Praise the Lord because we've been covered. And yet, until you go to be with the Lord or through, through, his, through your death or his return, you're, you're being conformed into his image, the image that you are in. God is working in you the person of Christ, and this takes patience and endurance. He's working into you that you'd be willingly obedient as Jesus was. The radical elimination of the sacrificial system at the coming of Christ also ushered in a radical age, a radical new age, within the mind and the heart of the follower of Christ. It cannot be seen from the outside like the sacrificial system could, but it is ongoing and is real within the Christian life. God made a new covenant with those who are in Christ. He made a new commitment to those who are in Christ to change their hearts and their minds so they desire to do the will of God. He's writing the law of God upon their hearts that they delight to follow the law of God. So they would no longer be ruled by the terrible master of sin. Christians are becoming like Christ progressively with time, with patience. This is the will of God for all of your lives who are in Christ. Look at verse 16. This one is a quote from the prophetic words of Jeremiah the prophet. And also look at verse 15, because that tells us who said these words. It says in verse 15, The Holy Spirit bears witness, saying, And what does the Holy Spirit say? Well, the Holy Spirit says this, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. What days are those? Well, that's after the first coming of Christ, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. That's God's promise. That's his commitment. That's his covenant. The age between the first and the second advent is an age in which the Christian is being conformed, being shaped, being molded. The conscience within us, the voice, that voice that interprets the thoughts of our hearts and minds, is being conformed to love the will of God. Let's say that again. Our consciences are being shaped and formed to love the will of God. That's the work of the new covenant. It's a bumpy road. It's a battle to follow God's will rather than your own will. I'm sure you've experienced that as a Christian. There's a battle going on. But the Holy Spirit who spoke this promise lives within the Christian, those who are in Christ. And part of Jesus' first coming to do the will of God was to impart the Spirit of God into the people of God so they might do the will of God. That's what Jesus came to do. We live in a new age in which we are growing and being conformed to the law of God. The haunt of Halloween is past, 
the age of Christmas is now. Church, our consciences are being shaped to love what is good and hate what is evil. We are learning to love the conviction of the conscience, which leads to repentance, grow in understanding and loving discipline, to cherish the discipline of the Lord, because it leads to his will. And we're learning to reject the condemnation of the conscience. The conscience that says, you'll never make it. You'll never measure up. We're learning to accept the grace of Christ, the grace of God. That's how our consciences are being conformed. Our consciences are still very important today, but they aren't meant to haunt us like the past. Today they are to remind us of God's grace through Jesus and lead us to repentance and faith and security rather than fear. But this takes time and training. It's the life between the first and the second advent. Coming to church today is a part of this process to reshape your conscience. It's a good thing that we're here together. The repetition of the good news, the gospel of Jesus, is the means to shape your heart and mind, to love the will of God, love his law. Your conscience is, um, is free from the guilt of sin, of sin, but it's not free from loving others. Your conscience is actually being shaped in its freedom to be able to freely love others and freely love God. That's how the conscience is being changed. Again, this is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Be patient with yourself because God is patient with you. Let him work on you. Don't get frustrated with how it, the t- time it takes. Work with him as he works in you. Exercise your faith in God's word. Look at verse 17. This is an example of the things we can do. What does God say? God says, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. You conform your conscience by believing this, by standing on this promise when you feel condemned. Let the grace of these words, when you sit there and you're haunted again, reshape your conscience to love God and obey and love, obey him out of the love that he has poured into you and obey his law in that way. And then look at verse 18. When you feel like you need to do some good works to cover up your problems or to cover the punishment, look at what verse 18 says. Repeat this to yourself. Where there is forgiveness of these... There is no longer any offering for sin. Today we don't need repeated animal sacrifice. It's unnecessary for the conscience. We have something altogether better and more wonderful. We need to repeat that to ourselves. The repetition of this truth is what frees us from the desire to try to fix things ourselves and to make it right in order to punish ourselves. Retrain the conscience. Let your conscience be conformed by believing God's word, by reading God's word, by hearing God's word preached in church, by preaching it to one another. Your conscience is not perfect, but the word of God is perfect. It is altogether true, and it's how we retrain our conscience. Life between the two advents is a good but challenging time of being conformed to the will of God as Jesus did. God's gracious promise to you is this, that he will complete the work in you. Take heart. Don't give up. Because his once-for-all sacrifice is sufficient. I think um, that we've well shown this morning that there's nothing, um, 
that, that there's something scarier than ghosts and Grim Reapers and Freddy Krueger. What is it? It's a haunting conscience. <laughs> it's your deepest, it, it, the, the conscience knows your deep, deepest and darkest secrets. It's never appeased by good works. You can seek to run from your conscience, but it always cash, catches up. The conscience is the ghosts of Christmas past found in each one of us. But on this week of Christmas, we get to rejoice that Jesus has obediently followed the will of God and dealt a death blow to the power of sin so we can be freed from our haunted consciences. Amen? And we can evidently, ever increasingly pursue the will of God and the power of the Spirit as Jesus did. This is the true reason for the season. Let me pray. Father, I pray that each person here uh, would leave encouraged by your word. I pray that the conscience that, that does haunt us, and rightfully so because of our sin, uh, Lord, would be seen in light of the gospel of the Jesus Christ, of the grace of the one who gave a once-for-all sacrifice for sin. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who's seeking, wanting to know Jesus and what he's done, I pray their, haunt, their conscience would be haunted until the time where they get to see the grace of Jesus and be freed from that. And for the rest of us who are following Christ, Lord, help us to grow. Conform our, our thoughts, our minds, our hearts, our conscience to loving you and to following you and doing your will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.